Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of the Barely Backcountry Podcast. Today's guest is Josh Walker, who is a retired NFL player, and now he's the host of the Retired to Hunt Podcast. So we had a really good conversation about his career in the NFL and what he's doing now, um, getting out there and hunting a lot. So before I get you guys into that, if you guys want to check out the podcast on social media, it's barely underscore backcountry underscore podcast on Instagram, and then my personal is c.dillashaw. Again, make sure you guys give the podcast a like, a share, a follow, leave a review, all those good things. But without any further ado, I'll get you guys into the podcast with Josh. All right, guys, welcome back to another episode of the Barely Backcountry Podcast. Today's guest is Josh Walker, former NFL player. Now he's a big hunter, host of the Retired to Hunt podcast. But Josh, how you doing, man? I'm outstanding, Caleb. I appreciate you having me on, man. But I'm doing really good. How about yourself? I'm doing good. Doing good. Yeah. But real quick, just introduce yourself to people that we, they kind of got a background on you, and then we can get into the finer details on all that. Yeah, so uh, like you said, man, I'm Josh Walker, former NFL lineman, played for a handful of different teams, played uh, two years in Green Bay, a season in Houston, uh, and two years in Jacksonville to end it up. But I was an old lineman, more of a swing guy, uh, kind of a, what do they call it, uh, jack of all trades, master of none, kind of played everything, uh, everything but center. So, uh, yeah, I had a good career, played five years. Uh, you know, unfortunately, I wasn't able to do a ton of hunting in that time. But uh, I still got to do more hunting than I probably should have. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, you know, and when it ca- came time for me to figure out something else, to be honest with you, the first I was done after 2018. And uh, so for a couple of years, I just took some time and, and hunted and didn't say a word, never had Instagram until last year. Uh, you know, I was just really grinding, trying to learn this this Western hunting out because uh, I'm originally from East Tennessee. So, you know, the elk and the mule deer, the antelope is all all new to me and you know it's all things that i've been fortunate enough to kill and kill on public land diy fashion you know in the last couple of years super proud of it but that kind of leads me into the segue of the of the show retired to hunt so it's just about me and and uh you know i have a lot of cool guests on but sometimes it'll just be me solo talking about stories that have happened to me you know uh cool stuff that's happened in the woods and i got some cool guests that hop on but a lot of it and i'm not going to say all of it but a lot of it's public land diy stuff uh you know right. do-it-yourself stuff i get a lot out of doing it that way there's nothing wrong with doing it any other way but that's just kind of the way i like to do it but uh yeah that's pretty much it man retired to hunt check it out it's uh it's a cool little show man yeah yeah i enjoy listening to it i just listened to your the one you did with Derek wolf uh okay yeah go in the gym so definitely enjoy, yeah. enjoy listening to the podcast but before we get into kind of what your the details of what you're doing now i kind of want to go back to the beginning you know as a kid I'm assuming, did you kind of play football all the way as a kid? And then were you out hunting as a kid as well? Or Oh, man. So before any sports, hunting was there for me. Uh, yeah. Started playing baseball at a super, super young age. And uh, one of the best things that ever happened to me was uh, I went to try out for the high school team. And mm-hmm. uh, I got cut, which was great because, <laughs> you know, I focused on football, right? Yeah. Uh, in the eighth grade. So in the eighth grade, which is obviously a year before high school, I should have led with this, but in the eighth grade, finally my gym teacher, cause I was always a big kid, man. Even in the eighth grade, I was wearing a size 14 shoe. I was probably 275 pounds, you know, six, three, six, four. Uh, and finally my gym teacher's like, walk, you know, start working out for us. And I'm like, what do you mean? He's like for the football team. I'm like me play football. Like I don't play football. You know, I was, I was big into baseball, man. I really thought I could pitch, thought I could hit, you know, back in the days of uh, Sammy Sosa, Mark McGuire, uh, Andres Galarraga, Andrew Jones, you know, Chipper, that that little era, man. Uh, mm-hmm. Barry Bonds. But anyway, 
So one day in gym, man, I'm walking laps. He's like, come work out. I was like, man, you know what? I'll, I'll try it. You know? So I tried it, man. And I hated it. I absolutely hated it. But, uh, I just kept doing it, man. And I didn't have the type of folks that were like, you got to keep doing it. You've got to keep doing it. They're like, yeah, well, you don't like it, whatever. Mm-hmm. But I was like, man, I already started this. You know what I'm saying? So yeah, kept, uh, kept playing. And, you know, I was su- successful, you know, middle school, uh, defensive lineman. Cause I was big, didn't know what in the hell I was doing, but I was just big, you know, <laughs> and getting into high school, my freshman year, you know, this is not one of those Cinderella stories where, you know, I was playing my freshman year. I was not, I was on the freshman team. Uh, you know, and starting off the next year, I was even on the JV, you know, I'm still learning the game. I started playing in eighth grade. So I'm really trying to learn the game of football. I was big, which, you know, that's, that's huge. And especially that position, but, you mm-hmm. know, kept playing, kept playing. And, uh, you know, I, I realized that I had a chance to go play in college when, um, I think it was my junior year, uh, school started to come in, uh, like third period. And, you know, it'd come over the intercom, Josh Walker needs to come to the field house, blah, 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 you know, go down there and their schools just want to talk to you stuff. So it wasn't until that moment that I was even thinking about playing past high school. I mean, literally it was just, this is fun. You know what I mean? Uh, I wasn't thinking anything about college football, but then when they started coming, I was like, wow, like I might can do this. And, uh, you know, sure enough, ended up signing with middle Tennessee. And then even then, man, I redshirted my first year. I was not ready. Even that middle 10, I just wasn't ready. Uh, the biggest thing, I, I just didn't know how to bend, man. You know, leverage is everything. And being 6'5 and some change, dude, it's, you know, it's tough to get leverage. And, uh, you know, I had to learn how to play with it. And like I said, going into college, I registered the first year, but then came out and ripped off like 44, 45 different straight starts or whatever it was. But anyway, even then, it wasn't until my redshirt junior year when I had agents coming into town watching games and this and that, that I was even thinking about the NFL, to be honest with you. Uh, <laughs> You know, I knew I had the size and all that stuff, you know, 6'5", 335, that's great. But, uh, you know, actually, I'll I'll take that back. The start of my red shirt junior year, a couple of games in, I was just like, damn, like, I win a lot. Like, I was just winning a lot, and I was not losing a lot of reps. Uh, Point being is just, you know, I guess I just kind of filed it away as, ah, this is the Sun Belt. You know, ah, this is the Conference USA. But then my strength coach is like, hey – you know, the scouts were saying this, saying that. And then all of a sudden the agents start coming in. Uh, so that's when it became real. But anyway, yeah, and then went into the NFL career. And, uh, man, it was a good time, man. It was, it was a really good time. I actually had some really cool stops along the way to, to get out in the outdoors, man. Green Bay and Jacksonville, those two places had a lot of uh, outdoors opportunities to be had, man. Yeah, I bet. Where did you grow up? Grew up in East Tennessee, man. A little town about 45 okay. minutes northeast of Chattanooga. Nice. So yep. soon out there, it's a lot of a lot of whitetail hunting and some oh, waterfowl dude. stuff as well. <laughs> yeah, man, cut my teeth on uh, the ducks and the squirrels and the rabbits and the coons and the whitetail deer and the ducks. Didn't get into turkey hunting until three years ago. Actually, we didn't okay. have turkeys in my area at the time. Now they're flourishing, but we didn't have turkeys at the time, so I, I wasn't into turkey hunting. But now I'm addicted to it. Uh, but you know the duck. I mean, literally, every, we hunted everything. Uh, yeah. And, and I grew up doing it. I mean, I grew up, you know, welding my own friggin' uh, uh, steel tubing ladder stands. I'd get some some half inch square tubing from the flea market, and I'd mig weld it and make some stand uh, stands. I can remember not having a rangefinder, and we had a sawmill on our property, and I would take uh, scabs from the the sawmill, and I would put them out. You know, 10, 20, 30, 40 yards. And uh, I mean, that was back when I was shooting with fingers, man. I can remember yeah. buying uh, an old high country bow okay. from a yard sale, man, way back in the day. And uh, my dad was a machinist and uh, it didn't have a, a stabilizer hole. So I drilled and tapped my own hole <laughs> to put a stabilizer in, man, back in the day. But yeah, I remember shooting uh, 
shooting at like 50 pound burlap, empty burlap sacks. I would stuff grass clippings in it or stuff, mm-hmm. uh, you know, stuff hay in it. Or if we had an old couch cushion, I'd shoot at that thing. But definitely humble beginnings, man. Uh, humble beginnings for sure. Nice. Nice. So did you, was your dad a big part of getting you into hunting or did you kind yeah. of do it on your own? Or? Yeah, no, he was. So he was not a, uh, what most would see as a serious hunter. I mean, he was, a. Uh, there's a deer in the garden, let's shoot it, you know, and, you know, sit around the fire and, you know, overlook a field and hope the deer come through type of a deal. So that's what I grew up starting to do, man. I've shot a lot of deer off of a, off of a fence post, man, with a, a 50 caliber youth model, CVA side hammer, loose powder, 50 cal, man, growing up, uh, just right outside the house, grew up on 34 acres. And, you know, we had stuff running all over out there and we would literally wake up early in the morning and, uh, just sit out there by the fire and watch a clearing man uh you know and obviously i've took it to a lot a lot different level than that but that's kind of way i started you know and uh it took all they could do to try to wrangle me into not going out on my own because i just wanted to go do it myself because yeah. you know my dad loved to sit by the fire and do the thing but i wanted to go in the woods and hunt you know what i mean and mm-hmm. finally when i was i guess i was i got my hunter's safety at nine years old so i was probably nine years old uh I go in the woods by myself. They finally let me go out. And uh, so I'm in the woods and, uh, you know, it gets darker in the the thick, uh, you know, uh, hardwood hammock as opposed to being in a field. Right. So I'm scared of the dark. I'm a kid. I'm like, damn, it's getting dark. I got to get out of here. So I go out into an open field and uh, I find a big old cedar tree and I shimmy my big fat ass in this cedar tree. And I'm overlooking this, uh, this rolling hill, man. And, uh, you know, you know, as a kid, every second you're like, man, something could come out. Something could come out. Sure enough it probably wasn't 10, 20 minutes. All of a sudden crunch, crunch. I'm like, there's no way. And all of a sudden the buttonhead sticks his head out of the, out of the thicket. Poom! Smoked the buttonhead. And uh, my folks made me carry around a walkie talkie. And I thought I was hitting the button saying, I got one, I got one, but I wasn't even hitting the button, but they were out on the front porch and I was screaming so loud that they heard me all the way across the field, man. Right. But uh, yeah, man, been doing it a long time. Uh, and, and I love it, man. Like I said, it was there before the sports, you know, any of that stuff. And uh, it's yeah. just been super cool to be able to get out and do it a ton the last few years. Nice. Nice. So getting back to the football side of things. So in college, were you still playing defensive line or had you made that transition to O-line or? So in college, uh, I played O-line. Once I got out of uh, eighth grade, so from okay. uh, high school on, I was offensive lineman. Yep. Okay. Nice. Nice. Yeah. And then what was that? you kind of talked about that transition from high school to college, but how did it go from, you know, getting into the NFL where you drafted or, and then, you know, your process through your whole NFL career? Yeah. So I was undrafted, man. Uh, it was a, a tough, it's a tougher road uh, from the standpoint of just, I don't think people understand what it's like just to make a 53 man roster. I mean, if you think about it, there's 53 guys on the active roster, there's 32 teams. I mean, m- make a simple math. What's that like 160, 170, yeah. Uh, you know, anyway, uh, I'm sorry, uh, 1700, 1600 people. Right. Yeah. Anyway, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's very difficult just to make a, a 53 man roster, but anyway, going back to the, the road, man, undrafted, I actually went to Indy very briefly, the Colts. That was my first stop. Uh, I thought that's where I was going to get drafted to, uh, had a good rapport with the O-line coach. I was like, all right, let's go to Indy. So I get cut at Indy literally like week two, I get cut there and then four days late, dude. So I'm literally crazy story. My first time ever getting cut, man. So I'm in, we just signed the, the ink hadn't even dried to the lease on this house, man. 
Yeah. And I'm at Home Depot getting spider spray because that house had sat for a couple months and in the garage there was some spiders. So yeah. I had uh, went to Home Depot to get some spider spray. And I just remember walking towards the cash register, holding a big tub of spider spray. And I get a phone call from a 314 number. I'm like, this, there's no way this is what this is. Answer the phone. Hey, is this Josh? Like, yeah, this is him. Hey, this is such and such, blah, blah, blah. Uh, Mr. Grigson wants to see you right away. And I'm like, okay. He's like, yeah, you probably want to bring your iPad. So point being, it just kind of happens out of nowhere. You always got your phone on you. Uh, It's a weird feeling, man. But, you know, literally three days after that, I'm in Green Bay living out of a bag for for several months, you know. Uh, So it happens quick. It happens real quick. What was your kind of mindset after you got cut? Obviously, it was a short amount of time from when you got up to Green Bay, you said. But, like, at that point, were you kind of just thinking that was it? It was over? Or were you – more determined to make it make it happen dude that's a great question and uh you know the mindset goes a long long way uh in professional football your mindset goes a long way but yeah so i got cut and i'm just the type of dude that it pissed me off more than anything because i'm like there's yeah. no reason why i should get cut so i call my agent tell him he's like are you serious he's like your preseason tape blah blah blah, this and that so i was more pissed off than anything so to answer your question i was just more determined than ever and uh yeah. you know a couple of days later i was in green bay um again this was only three months into my my professional career i'm in green bay they signed me to practice squad and uh finished out that year on practice squad and then on the active there for the next year and then houston and then two in jacksonville point being you know that year on uh on practice squad that i spent in green bay it was just cool to get to learn a lot because every day you go against guys like julius peppers and uh clay matthews and uh Mike Neal, um, BJ Raji, uh, AJ Hawk, the list goes on and on. Um, Latroy Guyon. I mean, point being is you just get so much, so many more reps when you're on practice squad against the ones, right? So I think that helped me a lot spending that year on practice squad and really learning. Cause I mean, in, in all fairness, I was still learning the game. I mean, I'm still learning what it takes to be a really good offensive lineman. Uh, you know, even though I've, I've got farther than most and been able to make a practice squad. You know, I still hadn't ta- – I honestly didn't think I played to my best until probably the year before my last year. I was probably playing my best football. But, uh, but yeah, man, the mindset is super important. If if you give up, I mean, you you got no chance, man. Uh, mm-hmm. And don't get me wrong. I'll just be frank. You know, that human – it's a very human feeling, right? It's Maybe it's the first feeling that wants to hit your body is – well, damn, I tried, right? It's like, ah, I tried. But to yeah. me, if that's your mindset, you probably ain't got no business being in that business. So to be honest, like it, that feeling wants to creep in, but, you know, the good ones put that in the back of their head and they just grind and go to work. And that's just the ones that want it. Mm-hmm. Nice. Nice. So you got up to Green Bay and you spent time with the practice squad there. Did you make it to the, the starting roster in Green Bay? Uh, Not the starting roster, but I was on active, yeah. So I actually okay. played behind two – in my opinion, they should be two Hall of Fame guards, and I don't know who, how, how deep your uh, your football intellect goes, but these are two offensive linemen. Their names are, uh, well, Brian. Actually, I've named the whole line, man, from right tackle to left tackle: Brian Balaga, T.J. Lane, Corey Lindsley, Josh Sitton, and David Bakhtiari. Now, I was a pure guard coming into the game, and Josh Sitton and T.J. Lane are probably two of the best, probably the best guard tandem I have ever seen to this day. Uh, and they were just warriors. So it was tough to get on the field because they never came off the field. Uh, but it was super cool to play behind guys like that too, man. Uh, yeah. Super cool to play behind guys like that. Right. 
what's it like being on an NFL team as far as like the atmosphere and all that, you know, in comparison to like a college locker room or a high school locker room, things like that? Well, there's a number one, it depends where you're at. You know, I was on four different teams and it was a little different everywhere. Uh, yeah. But the number one common denominator is I think it's a lot more serious. I mean, I think there's a lot more at stake. Uh, yeah. You know, the meetings are a little serious, more serious. Uh, you know, you kind of see guys fall asleep and stuff like that in the college setting. That doesn't happen very often at all in a pro setting because, I mean, come on, that that looks terrible, right? Yeah. Uh, especially if you're an undrafted guy and the odds are already against you. The last thing you want to be the reason why you're getting cut is because you can't come in with a good attitude, get you a cup of coffee and stay awake now in saying that the meetings are long but you know it's your life right i mean it's just it's just what you do so you know that going in but yeah the atmosphere is just a little more serious i'll say this it gets a little more lax the older you get more years you get in you know the more i don't want to say lax you can get in your preparation but uh things just just slow down uh the older you get you know you get a little bit more respect so on and so forth uh, but yeah, it's a lot more serious in the college setting and not to say that college isn't serious, but mm-hmm. the NFL obviously takes it to the next level. Right. What's the, what's the training like, like both off season and in the on season, like how much is it like just like practicing drills versus, you know, lifting or running or things like that or. Yeah. So it just, like? it, it just depends on the time of year. You know, you, we usually come in around April 19th, somewhere in there and start the, uh, what we would call the off season, which that's literally the first two weeks is called phase one, no contact, no helmets, no nothing. So you're literally just lifting conditioning and watching tape. Uh, it's a very fun time of year. You know, everybody's been off and you get back together and kind of hanging out, talking shit and uh, talking about what all cool things you've done over the off season. And so you come back with that. And in phase two, I think you can put helmets on. I can't remember how far in that is, but, and to be honest with you, man, uh, a lot of people will see OTAs and see that, you know, we're just in helmets and it's not physical. Dude, it's I, – I learned very quick. Uh, you know, I mean, think about it like this. So the guy across from me, right, the, say the defensive tackle, mm-hmm. if you think that he's going to take it easy and you go easy and he ain't taking it easy, <laughs> you're about to look like shit, right? So <laughs> so it's one of those things where, man, uh, the older you get, right, when you ha- when you have guys you've played with, Across uh-huh. the other side of the ball, you kind of look at each other, give them a little nod and say, all right, hey, let's, let's make this look good. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, and not to say we're not getting to work in, but there's times where you can take care of each other as an older player. Yeah. Uh, you know, but as a young guy, it's just full speed all the time, especially as an undrafted free agent. It's full speed all the time. But then you roll into training camp in August, and that, that's a serious grind there, um, a very serious grind day in and day out. Uh the practice schedule uh, varied from team to team. Some teams would literally, the day would start with practice. So it's like, okay, on the field at seven o'clock. Think about that. Think about all the stuff you need to do to get your body right before yeah. being out at practice. Then you got to be at practice seven, eight o'clock. Uh, yeah. So it's kind of a mind game. It's like, hey, look, y'all are pros. Just show up, be at practice at this time. No meetings beforehand. Just go to practice. And yeah. then uh, after practice, more meetings, working out walkthroughs meal more meetings more walking through special teams uh it's all day football man i mean you roll in the building five five thirty you get home about six six seven o'clock uh especially during the season i mean it's an all-day grind but then you get in the season and it's more clinical than anything like you're not really at that point you should be 
own your P's and Q's, if that makes sense. Like mm-hmm. there shouldn't be a whole lot of individual uh, drills. There shouldn't be a whole lot of uh, a whole lot of physical stuff going on from the standpoint of one on ones. Because I mean, you're all banged up, and you just you know you're just trying to get to the next game. Uh, so it's you know you still practice, you still work out, but it's only like three times a week. Uh, a lot of meetings, a lot of walkthroughs, and then you know the travel. And your know, travel could be. I mean, you could be going from Green Bay to Arizona or from Jacksonville, Florida to London or Houston, Texas to Mexico City. You know, you just never know uh, what the travel is going to be. But uh, you just got to be a pro and uh, whatever comes, you just got to be ready for it and uh, handle it, man. That's 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 all. That's the only thing you can do if you want to stay around. Yeah, definitely. But I'm assuming once you get to that level, everything's kind of programmed for you based off you know, your lifting and all that stuff. And then your you know diet and all that stuff is programmed for you by somebody that's paid a lot of money to do all that yeah so there's definitely nutritionists and honestly you kind of eat like you want unless you have and when i say eat what you want you know being a pro you know what you're supposed to put in your body right as far from a caloric intake but you're not really uh on a restricted uh nutritioner provided diet unless you're way under or way over and then you have to eat what they tell you does that make sense so yeah for instance, you got a weight window. So you weigh in once a week. So for instance, mine at Green Bay was like 333 to 338 or something like that. It was like a five-pound window that I had to stay in. If I was a little mm-hmm. bit under, they don't care. But if I show up 346 pounds, it's $600 a pound that you're over every week. Hey. So, I mean, there's guys getting hit for tens of hundreds of thousands of dollars just for coming in super, super overweight, you know. So, uh but yeah, as far as the nutritionist thing, man, I always had really, really good food. Green Bay was probably the best as far as the food went, man. Uh, well, I'll take that back. Jacksonville had a cool thing where every time we went on a uh, on an away game, we got sushi on the bus to the plane, which was really, really good sushi. I yeah. just, I'll never forget that, man. Just walking nice. out and they'd hand you like a uh, you know a plastic tote if you wanted one, uh, you know, with with uh, with sushi on it, man. I love sushi. Nice, nice. Mm-hmm. What is the going into you know off of the training into the actual game what's that atmosphere like you know in the game you know and pre-game and all that stuff what's that atmosphere like on a pro team yeah so as far as pre-game goes man we play it about three or four different times right there's the the noon game there's like the two or three or four o'clock game and then you know there's that other game later in the afternoon those earlier games like the noon game there's pros and cons to it. It's cool because you're home at like 4.30. You know, you're never, you're never home before the sun goes down or yeah. yeah, before the sun goes down. So it's cool just to get home and be with your old lady or whatever you, whatever you do. Uh, mm-hmm. But at the same time, it's weird because what do you eat before? It's tough to eat, you know, from just the nerves of the game and that weird time of day. A lot of times I found myself just uh, getting an IV and drinking Pedialyte and, you know, two or three Stinger waffles. Uh, you know, and if it's a later game though, you'll be able to eat, right? If, if you're playing at four five, six o'clock, you're going to yeah. be able to eat, but a noon game, you know, you're eating pregame meal at nine o'clock. That's so weird, man. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, I was just, I relied a lot on IVs. Uh, but as far as atmosphere, it's incredible, man. You know, there's some, there's some really cool college stadiums that I was even fortunate enough to play at, man. Uh, you know, in the sec, um, and they were just badass atmospheres and it's still, you know, it, it's up there, but I don't know, man, playing in Arrowhead and playing it at Seattle stadium, dude, it's, it's a whole different ball game in my opinion. And I, I know Alabama fans and UF and all those guys are going to say, well, we got a hundred thousand. I get that. But 
I'm hey, telling Alabama, you, man. that's my team right there. So you already know what's up. So, yep. <laughs> you know, uh, we, you know, we don't play in stadiums that, that seat a hundred thousand. I don't think, but man, the atmosphere is just different. And I think yeah. it's just cause knowing the competition, man, I mean, you're playing an NFL game. There's a camera over a, on a wire hovering over your head, right? You got that NFL shield on your chest. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, the atmosphere is incredible, man. That's, that's probably the biggest thing. Not the biggest. It's one of the biggest things I miss is is running through that tunnel, man. There is nothing, no feeling that I will ever get to replace that. But yeah, uh, I get pretty close, man. Being on the mountain with those screaming bulls, dude. <laughs> yeah, man. Well, that's a good transition right there. Let's get into what you're doing with hunting now. So, when did you kind of get to move out west and get into the western hunting thing? Yeah, so I like I said, I retired after 18 and. uh we bought the place late 18, moved in early 19. Uh, I didn't hunt any big game all of 19 just because I was still super ignorant. And I, I thought, well, I don't even have any points. There's no way I can hunt elk. <laughs> like, So I didn't yeah. even look into it. And I'm a huge duck guy, a huge duck guy, man. I'm, I'm glad this year I took some time and got back into it because I was a huge traveling duck hunter. Like I'm, I'm on state 17 of, of states I've been, been fortunate enough to shoot ducks in. I love it. And uh, but I'll tell you what, man, where I'm at now, if I got a big game tag in my pocket, I'm not hunting no birds. So uh, <laughs> but yeah, man. So that whole first year just hunted ducks and stuff. And towards the end of that year, I started studying. I'm like, man, uh, you know, I, it looks like you can hunt elk every single year. Uh, so the next year I didn't get a tag, but I went with a buddy and it was mm-hmm. cool. I got baptized in the fire, man, because this dude's a trail runner. So he gets off work <laughs> at 630 p.m. He's like. You want to go today or tomorrow? I was like, I don't care whatever you want to do. I don't know anything about elk hunting. So yeah. we leave, pull up to the trailhead, like 11, 30, 12 o'clock. And it looks like a Walmart parking lot, man. So yeah. he looks at me. He's like, you know, can you sleep in a truck tonight? I was like, well, I, I won't sleep, but I mean, I could sit here for four hours. Uh, he's like, well, should we pull our spike stuff out and just set up? I was like, nah, we're just going to take it down in three or four hours. You know, he's like, were you thinking what I'm thinking? I'm like, I hope not. So we grabbed our headlamps, <laughs> put our spike camps on, and we walked in like two miles. You know, it took, I don't remember how long it took, but in the middle of the night, right, my first experience hiking at night and yeah. spiking in. And again, this dude's a trail runner. So he's that dude, you know, he's six foot, 185 pounds, just does not stop. And I'm I'm so prideful, man, that I stayed right on his ass, just straight pride. And yeah. uh, I was able to get through that hunt, but, man, it was so, so tough. But then the next year, I got super fortunate to draw a cool tag, public land, but it was a special access permit, and okay. was able to, to shoot a good bull, a nice three thirty ish class bull. And uh, but anyway, how did I get into you know the the western hunting thing? Just honestly diving in, doing research on what was available, man, and because uh, mm-hmm. you know what was available to me. But you know now that I've done it, I've tasted it. You know I've been able to shoot a Pope and Young antelope with my bow i shot a pope young elk with a with a 65 prc i got a nice cat with a 10 mil uh you know i've got two mule deer uh you know and all that stuff's been done diy public land outside of that cat you know with the help of my good buddy alex Nestor. uh you know if you think you're going to shoot a cat without dogs and it does happen i understand that but good yeah. luck <laughs> nice so yeah. are you doing mostly like bow hunting stuff now? Are you picking up a rifle every once in a while or dude, I'm I'm an opportunist, man. Uh yep. I do a little bit of everything. Whatever I think is gonna give me the best opportunity, you know, and I try to uh take into perspective my schedule, right? You know, so yeah. I you know, if it's if it's archery, like for instance, this year I'm thinking I'm gonna do muzzleloader elk. Uh okay. yeah, I think I'm gonna do muzzleloader elk. So it's like, okay, well, I'm gonna have to hit up another state, you know, to to get that 
that elk fix unless I hunt, you know, class B archery cows, right? So, uh-huh. you know, a lot goes into the beginning of every season. People always wonder why I have so many tags. It takes a lot of, not a lot of planning. Like, I'm not trying to overgridify it, but you get it. Like, you got to really plan your stuff out to be able to hunt as much as you want. Uh, you know, tag allocation is huge. Uh, time allocation, fund allocation, all that stuff is huge. And, and you know, as far as get, being able to hunt a lot. Definitely. Definitely. Just out of curiosity, what's your, what bow are you shooting and like what's your setup? Cause I'm assuming your drawing's got to be what, like a 32, 33? Yeah, it's 32 and a half. Uh, yeah. Right now I'm shooting a Dart and Tempest 3D LD. So it's 3D long draw. It's actually a 3D bow, super cool yeah. bow. They, uh, they sent to me and I, and I love it, man. I just made the switch. Uh, I was shooting a Halon seven before that okay. for the last, I mean, it came out in like 16 there's absolutely yeah. nothing wrong with the Halon seven, but like I said, Darton was nice enough to sh- send me that bow out and it's super, super nice, smooth shooting bow. And, uh, that's what I'm running so far, but yeah, 32 inch draw. I use uncut arrows. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's, <laughs> it's a cool deal. <laughs> nice. nice. That's yeah. cool. Do you prefer bow hunting or I know you said you're an opportunist, but if you had your choice, what are you going with? Man, honestly, I don't care. I uh, I get just as fired up, dude, and, and I get it. People are going to be like, well, when you get close, I understand that. You yeah. know, there is that added coolness, if you will, to shooting stuff with a bow, and I, I love to do it. But I don't know, man. Just going out on public land and being able to shoot something that fires you up, I don't really care yeah. what the fire, what the weapon is. Uh, but, yeah, I do love to bow hunt. Yeah, I do. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I'm kind of like you. Like you said, you know, you're an opportunist, you know, I'm kind of in that same mentality. I want to get whatever tag I can get. And yes, like, I mean, rifle cow tags are some of my favorite hunts just because, you know, they're pretty low stress hunts, you know, they're not hard to find. And, you know, those are always a ton of fun. Right. Yeah. What, so kind of run me through what your season was like. I know you killed that uh, big mountain lion with Nestor. And then I saw you had a few other um, hunts out there. So kind of run me through your season. Yeah, so uh, I ended up. Let's see, I got my mule deer. Well, let's let's talk elk, man, because that it, it. Let's do it. They uh, <clears throat> man, they bothered me this year. I actually spent twenty four <laughs> days hunting OTC this year, man. Uh, just really grinding out. Drew back three times, missed one, and oh. actually wounded one. Yeah, uh, the one I oh man, yeah. Unfortunately, the one I missed was just a a stud of a bull. But uh, long story short, so. It was probably the best day I ever had in the woods. So I was spiked in by myself. I was spiked in a mile and a half. And I was headed in in the morning about another mile and a half, just straight up, about 2,200-foot elevation gain. And uh, mm-hmm. so I get about halfway up, and I'm going up, and all of a sudden I hear coming down. I'm like, well, that could pretty much only be one thing. Sure enough, it's elk. I'm like, all right, cool. So pull my face mask up, and they get their head right below me. I'm like, damn it, because, you know, you got that downhill thermal in the morning. I'm yep. like, God, dog it. So I can see the there was a cow and I couldn't tell what was behind her. She starts sticking her nose up just as she's about to come through the clearing. I mute at her, but I must've did it too loud, man, because she bolted. But then there's a <laughs> raggy bull that just stands there staring at me. And I'm at full draw looking through my peep and I'm just looking at this bull because it was a three point and I'm like, God dog it. He's close, but golly, I don't have my tape measure. Cause you know, if it's a three point here, you've got to have a five inch brow time. Okay. And yeah. So I'm like, golly, I don't know, man. Yeah. So I, he took off. Yeah. So he took off and uh I kept going and kept hearing this super uh short, like a lazy bed bugle. I mean, all he was giving me was it's all he was giving me. And I, I just kept hearing it. 
And I called at him twice and he shut up and I'm like, well, I'm done calling. I'm just going to creep yeah. through here and hopefully keep hearing him. Right. Cause he just yeah. wasn't responding like I like. And finally he hit it again. I'm like, Ooh, I'm close. So I had just crawled over about a belly button high piece of uh or log of blowdown and mm-hmm. got my one foot over. I'm like, okay. I did that quiet. Then my next foot, which happened to be my good leg was in the air. My bad leg, which is my right knee was on the ground and it could not hold anymore. <laughs> and I landed on the loudest twig in the, in the whole woods. And all of a sudden cows stand up. I'm like, damn it. I'm in them. And all of a sudden, this big, nasty-looking bull stands up at like 70 and just turns and looks at me. I draw back. He takes off running. And just seeing his sixes, like, at his spine, like, just running like an old man. Like, he was arthritic, dude. Like, it was just watch him run off in my stomach, just drop. So he didn't smell me, but he heard me, and he looked at me, and he caught movement. But I was like, he's not terrified. So I just let him go. And I just sat right there for a while. And then I I started about 30 minutes later, started hearing raking. I'm like, that sounds like raking. So I started headed towards it. I get about halfway towards it. He lets off a bugle. I'm like, okay, bet. Like, this is actually an elk. So drop mm-hmm. down in this uh, ditch. I was way up high. Then uh, drop down in this ditch, come out of it. And in the dark timber, I can just see this tree moving. Sure enough, it's a bull. And I see all these cows, and they were just going nuts. I mean, just going nuts. And I pull the binos up and look. It's another three-point. I'm like, you got to be kidding me, dude. I'm like 80, 90 yards. I'm like, you got to be kidding me. So I back out of there. It's about 1 p.m. by now. So I'm going to sit in this ditch. I'm going to take my shoes off and I'm going to make some ramen noodles. So I sat under this tree, have my boots off, have my socks hanging in a tree. Thank God I knocked the arrow. But uh, so I got my jet boil boiling, you know, for the for the ramen noodles. And I hear that three-point bugle. I'm like, okay, well, that's that three-point. You know, I knew about that. Uh-huh. But then all of a sudden over my left shoulder, another one answers it. <laughs> right over my left shoulder. I'm like, you got to be kidding me. So I'm like, there's no way this is going to work. Strong uphill thermal. It's 1 o'clock. I'm like, there's no way. I was like, well, what I'll do, I'll eat, and then I'll I'll deal with whatever's going on. Like, I'm eating right now. You know, you're tired as hell. You know, like I said, it's 1, 2 o'clock. I'm like, I'm about to eat. Mm-hmm. So, all of a sudden, I just I start to hear their feet. I'm like, you got to be kidding me. I'm like, damn it, they're close. Sure enough, here comes a cow right below me. I'm like, holy shit. Grab my rangefinder. 57, 57, 58, 57. I'm like, holy shit, this might happen. Another cow, another cow, another cow. He had a dozen cows with him. And all of a sudden, he stops at the top of the ditch, and I just see this big old chocolate rack with mud in it. And I see his head <laughs> tilt back, lets off this nasty bugle right in my face. My heart's pounding. I'm like, this is it. Yeah. Starts walking down the uh, the drainage to the opening. And just as he's about to come out, I was like, ah, you know, you spooked him with that mew. I was like, maybe I'll just mew real soft and just touch it off for him to be walking. So about the time I saw his nose, and of course, as soon as I hit that, he looked right at me, arrowed right in front of his chest, man. And then to make make matters worse, he climbs up out the other side, follows his cows, and looks back at me and bugles, man. Yeah, that's how I knew I missed him. <laughs> but I mean, just a just a dumbass move. Uh, I let the I let what happened to me, you know, earlier in the day affect you know my next encounter. Uh, you know what I should have done was just stop him, let him stop and shoot. But I let that yeah. get in my head. But uh, same day, man, same day I end up wounding one. Same day, dude. What's that, the fourth encounter? <laughs> same day. I'm walking back to my tent. and I had nowhere, dude, like 30 yards. There's like four cows kind of angling up towards me. I'm like, you got to be kidding me. Luckily, I was in some shade, so I pulled my face mask up. Sure enough, big old bull, man. I'm like, holy shit. Get the full draw. I'm like, dude, this is about to happen. I didn't even try to stop him. Just touch it off. Whack. 
saw it. I'm like, oh, I just sat down, put my head in my hands. I'm like, you got to be kidding me. Right in no man's land, dude. Right right below the spine, man. As soon as I saw it, I knew. I was like, yeah, that ain't good enough. Uh, But, yeah, just two very serious mistakes. Uh, You know, and that was really the the high points, man, of of the elk season. I grinded a lot, man. Started off in a whole different unit. And we're seeing elk every day, man. They just did not want to play the game, man. They were just mute. So I moved, got about – 3,000 foot of vert higher in a whole different unit and got into elk. But, uh, man, I, chasing those things is so fun, man. I thought turkey was fun, but elk just takes it to a whole different level, chasing those things, you know, oh, on yeah. their terms, man. Yeah, this this was the first year. I had a rifle cow elk tag, but it was in, like, the peak of the rut in Nevada. So I got to chase bugles basically the whole time just trying to find a cow. And, yeah, that, that's the first time I've ever really done that. And I def- I got the elk bug now, so – Dude, you got to hunt Nevada? Yeah, well, that's where I'm from. So I'm oh, originally from Nevada. Man. I'm living in Arizona now. But um, Oh, that's just, that's just as good. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Golly, as far man. as elk goes, but, yeah, I'm doing pretty good on that end. But, yeah, that rifle cow elk hunt, that was – like it was last weekend of September, first weekend of October. So right Sad at – right Yeah, like I said, I just – I chased the same herd of elk for three days before I finally got a – good opportunity and but yeah just chasing bugles giant bulls and ton of fun yeah man ton of fun it's uh it's crazy you know the differences in hunting the mule deer and hunting elk people think it's probably the same thing right they live in essentially the same places but man there's it is not the same it is not the same hunting mule deer (laughs) definitely not i mean mule deer are cool i definitely i definitely love getting chased you know high country mule deer and all that and even the desert deer down here in Arizona can be fun, but elk is a is a whole nother level for me. Yeah, it's it's a whole nother level, man. I'd love to get down that way uh one of these winters, man, come out January and do that coos hunt, man, or a mule deer hunt. That'd be sick. Yeah, yeah. I haven't tried chasing coos deer with a bow yet. I don't know if I'm ready for that level. I heard it's tough, season, man. But... I heard it is tough. <laughs> yeah. But God, no, no, the mule deer mule deer is definitely, definitely fun. I enjoy it. Yeah, the first one I shot was, uh, let's see, not this past season, but the season before last, man. And that thing tasted terrible. Uh, (laughs) I don't know if it's because I shot it in a rut or because just its diet, but I've ate a lot of wild shit, man. And uh, that was by far the twangiest wild game I've ever had. Uh, And I killed one this year, and it was fine. So, you know, I'm assuming that was more diet. I mean, it was – it stinks so bad, man. Long story short, I had missed two bucks on friggin' public land in one day. And turns out one of my posts for my scope was loose. Anyway, I had to borrow a gun from my buddy. And after I shot that deer, that gun reeked. I had to clean his gun off because that just from touching it and touching that meat and touching yeah. that deer, like it was that stank. I mean, it was bad. Yeah, mule deer, mule deer can be a little bit tough sometimes. I mean, even my my brother shot a doe two years ago and like for the most part, the meat was okay, but there were a couple times, you know, like eating dinner with the family and all that. We'd have deer steaks, and it would just be a little bit off. Ooh, I know exactly what you so, mean, man. Like I know exactly what you mean. But yeah, I mean, I, I to this day, I don't think I've had as long as I had one cow elk that I didn't get on ice soon enough, and that went bad. But all the other elk steaks I've had have been phenomenal in comparison to a deer steak. Yeah, let me knock on wood, but same here, same here. Yeah. 
that's cool. So after you finished up chasing elk for almost a month and yeah, man. all that, <laughs> what'd you do after that? So uh, my girlfriend actually had a first uh, first rifle tag, and uh, so went out for her. And man, she's a trooper. I put her through the ringer. We uh, there wasn't much snow, and you know we had to go high because that's where they were at. And we got into elk, but uh, we just never could get her a shot. Uh, so then went straight from there to. Second rifle was the only time I wasn't in the woods. Uh, I don't think I did anything for second rifle. Third rifle, I had my mule deer buck tag. Was able to shoot my uh, my mule deer buck. Just It was a two-and-a-half-year-old little four-point. Uh, it was on day seven, or excuse me, day six. Mm-hmm. I had a uh, first day of the hunt. I missed a nice buck, man. Mm-hmm. Very, very long shot. It was like a 600-yard shot. Yeah. Uh, but my buddy had a Christensen Arms uh, 6.5 PRC with – you know, the latest and greatest night force turret system, blah, blah. He said, listen, let me crank it to it. Crank it to 600, let one rip shot. Felt great. I didn't even look at the buck because I didn't want to get fired up. Just put yeah. it right on his shoulder. And it was like four feet high. He's like, dude, he's like, that's the scope. Started cranking down on it. Cranks it down. He's like, send another one. Send another one. It was like a foot over its back. So then uh, by then he had had enough. But yeah. uh but yeah, long poke. And this year I'm kind of dedicating, man. I want to uh I want to do a lot of precision rifle shooting because there's no reason why I shouldn't feel completely confident uh in my abilities at, at a yardage like six hundred in the yeah. proper condition. So, you know, it's kind of like archery hunting. You know, there's I mean, if you can do it, you can shoot hundred yards, right? It's yeah. not a if you can do it, you can do it. You know, and it's the same with shooting a rifle, uh getting those reps in and, and getting that confidence. Definitely. Yeah. I mean, I think it's super important, especially for hunting out West and people can debate all day on what an ethical distance is or isn't. And it all comes up to, you know, who the shooter is, you know, for right. some people, a hundred yard bow shot is a hundred percent ethical. And then for yep. some people, they would never even think about taking that shot in practice. So, right. Wouldn't even shoot a target that far. Right. Yeah. Like, and so I, yeah, I, especially if you're going to hunt out West, I think you got to have the ability to take those longer shots. Like, I mean, down here in Arizona, you know, chasing, you know, deer in the desert, like getting close to them is not, not always going to happen. I mean, 60, 50 yards might be a close shot for you. So. Dude, that sounds like cutting back in Tennessee, man, hunting whitetail. I mean, like yeah. I said, my, my go-to weapons were obviously my bow and then a 50 caliber youth model, brass butt, old school, loose powder muzzleloader and uh, a 35 Marlin, which is essentially a 30, 30. Uh, yeah. But I mean, you just. I had never shot at anything over probably 170 yards until probably three years ago. Yeah. So. Yeah. But I mean, it's, it's fun taking those longer shots. For sure. No, it is. It, it felt. And the thing is, I was just waiting to see that deer drop. Cause I was so yeah. solid. Cause my buddy, my buddy threw up his binos and he's a long time guy. This was not a guy to hunt. But anyway, he, he's a guide buddy of mine. He threw up his binos. He's like, Hey, you're going to want to shoot that one. I'm like, really? He's like, yeah, go ahead and lay down. I was like, all right. <laughs> so, so he put his pack down and I didn't even look at that buck, dude. I just, yeah. I saw his horns and realized that was him. And then I went right to his shoulder. Yeah. <sighs> saw the dirt kick up like four foot high. I was like, dude, <laughs> perfect, yeah. perfect uh, windage, man. But just super, super high. But anyway, yeah. man, mule deer ended up getting that one on uh on the sixth day of the hunt really really good eating buck very proud of him uh you know i I don't claim to be you know some trophy hunter now here's the deal man do i want to kill the biggest thing i can kill absolutely yeah but uh if it fires me up dude i'm gonna shoot it and i'm gonna consume it that's just what it is absolutely Uh, that's that's just how i operate man yeah yeah i'm I'm the same way i got no problem i mean i've been hunting for you know 
five or six years now, I still haven't killed a deer of any yeah. kind, whether it be a doe or anything like that. So at this point, just about anything bigger than a spike is going to die. Yeah. Um, no, it's, yeah, nothing wrong with that. And yeah. And I got no problem doing that. I got no problem posting that to social media or anything like that. Um, you know, and you know, after, you know, two, three, four, five mule deer under my belt, then yeah, maybe we start, you know, up in the ante a little bit and, you know, yes, but that's a, that's a perfect plan, dude. And you know what, man, going into that kind of that public land versus, Oh, yeah. uh, guided debate it's like if i go and pay 10 grand to go shoot a mule deer uh i just i don't imagine i can't imagine what that would feel like like the i don't want to say the pressure i mean i've been in a lot more pressure situations but you know what i mean like when you go pay that amount yeah. to go hunt something it's it's just different man I, I don't know man i don't know it just ain't for me uh maybe maybe i should say it ain't for me yet but i just i can't imagine going and paying 20 grand to go shoot a big old elk like i would just assume go out on my own and shoot an elk uh definitely you know so i don't know yeah yeah i agree 100 i got no problem doing guided hunts and i've never done one but i mean there's a bunch of hunts on my bucket list that are you know guided hunts yeah like, I, I really want to get down to texas you know with snyder and Ooh, do one of those guided hunts and yeah and you know fortunately that that's not in the budget right now but you know someday and <laughs> Shout out to Topo, Texas, man. Scotty and them, they do a good job yeah. down there, man. They kill some huge rams and mule deer and elk and everything. Definitely. Have you been down there yet? Not yet, man, but I've been talking to Scotty. I'd like to get okay. down there and do that. Uh, right. Man, those all that are cool-looking animals, man. They are. They are. But So I want to hear the story behind your, uh, that cat that you killed with <laughs> Tell me that story. Yeah, so uh, the night before, man, we, me and Luke and Snyder actually did a podcast and uh, so I leave Luke's house about, I don't know, probably 11.30 at night. Now it's probably about 10.30. I got home about 11.15, 11.30. And I was going to be meeting Nestor at 12.30 to start running roads. So I leave my yeah. truck on because it's minus 30 out. So I, I got a diesel truck. And I left it on, went inside, ate a bowl of chili, came right back outside, went to the gas station and met him. And uh, we start running roads. And we cut the track about 2.15 in the morning. And uh, you got to wait until legal light to dump the dogs on it. Okay. So we we wait until I think it was like six forty eight was shooting light, and dude, it was so cold. I felt bad for them dogs at first. I ain't gonna lie. When we dumped them, <laughs> they just picked their paws up because it was burning. You know what I mean? That cold, it was so cold on their yeah. paws that it looked like they were had hurt feet or something. I'm like, damn. But then as soon as they stuck their nose in that hole, ooh, ooh, I mean, just gone. Uh, yeah. Just took off, and uh, so we'll go to the okay. So dogs are up in the rocks. You can hear the dogs. Their tree, my buddy Nestor's a mountain goat. He was, I don't know, <laughs> probably 100 yards ahead of me, dude. I had to go around because he had kind of got cliffed out or iced out, whatever you'd like to call it. He's like, you're going to have to go around. So I went around, and I don't even see him at all. I just hear the dogs, and finally I hear, Walker, get up here. It's about to get hairy. I'm like, damn, because <laughs> he doesn't have a gun. I'm the only one with a gun, so I'm like, damn, he's in the cave with this thing. So I just take off running up there, and when I finally see him, he's like 12 foot below me in this like hole and I'm above him. He's like, how the hell are you going to get down here? I said, move the dogs. The dogs are right below me. Just going nuts. I'm like, just move the dogs. He's like, what are you going to slide down? I'm like, just move them. So they moved the dogs. I slid down, boom, slid down this rock. And uh, it was super intense. The dogs are going nuts. He's like, buddy, that Tom's right below me. He's like, you're going to have to get down on the knee and lean out and put your gun in that cave. He's right below us. So he was in the cave right below our feet. So I got to get down and lean in there. So I get down, he shows me how to do it and get down, lean in. He's like, can you see him? 
I said, all I can see is Paul's. And now keep in mind, they were close. Like he was, he was close, close, <laughs> man. And uh, I said, oh, I see just Paul's. And we're yelling because it's super loud. Dog's going nuts. And uh, he's like, buddy, you're going to have to lean all the way flat and stick that gun in that cave. I'm like, all right, dude. So I lean all the way out. And finally, I see him. He growls at me. He's like, let me know when you're going to shoot. I said, I'm about to kill him. Pop, pop, pop. Hit him three times, probably within 10 foot with a 10 millimeter. He comes crawling out of the cave. He's dragging his back legs. I was like, damn, did I spine him? So when I skinned him, come to find out a bullet just went through and came out of his back legs. But he was trying to crawl out of this hole and he would have been cliffed out. Yeah. We wouldn't have been able to get him. He's like, don't shoot again if you ain't got to. I said, I got to. Boom, boom. Hit him two more times. And then I had to lower Nestor down with three dog leashes into this hell hole. Got the cat. <laughs> and I could just I could just tell by how excited he was. You know how guys are. If it ain't yeah. truly big, they're like, yeah, sweet. You know, but he's like, dude, you won't shoot another one bigger than this. Blah, blah, blah. So I was like, hell yeah. So we tied a cat up. We heaved the cat out of the hole. Then I hand him the leashes. We I pull him out of the hole uh, and then gut the cat. He walked ahead of me because he had to get the dogs rounded up and take it back to the truck. And I packed that thing down that icy, steep. It, dude, it was gnarly, man. It wasn't far. It was only probably 0.8 miles, dude. But it was just straight catty, rock, steep, icy. It was crazy, man. Uh, but definitely the coolest hunt of my life i would say uh it just barely topped that elk but man a mountain lion is just something that dude i mean yeah i never would have thought especially a big old giant booner like that it's like dude that it was cool man yeah yeah mountain lions are i mean just seeing one is special i've only ever barely seen one for a split second out in the mountains um mm-hmm. but yes a mountain lion hunt with dogs is definitely another one that's on my bucket list for sure Oh, dude, it, it was incredible. So I actually shot that big old Tom. Then Wolf shoots his two weeks later, brings it yeah. over. I skin it. We skin it at the house. And uh, so I got to see two, you know, in two weeks. It was cool, man. Yeah. Yeah. Both your guys' cats are giant. Big old cats. Yeah. It's tough to see in the picture because if people don't know how big both of you guys are. <laughs> like, Yeah, dude. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, and then. I was looking at the picture of the one that Derek Wolf killed. The head on that thing looks ridiculous. Yeah, big old pumpkin on it. Uh, yeah. So Wolf was a little bit younger of a cat, not not young, but younger than mine. So mine was an old time, probably seven, eight years old. He was four or five years old in the prime of his mm-hmm. life. Big old thick joker. He was freshly eaten on a kill. I don't know if you saw in the deal, but they found a kill it was eaten on. Dude, that oh. cat stunk from high hell. Mine smelled bad, but that, and I'm talking about, with the hide gone, guts out and everything. Just that cat, just, it was disgusting, man. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, man, big old cat. It was about three inches longer than mine. It probably had 10, 15 pounds on mine. Big okay. old cat. Dang. That's crazy. Have you eaten any of it yet? Dude, so good. Is it? that? That's everybody I've talked to that's eaten it said it's phenomenal. Dude, it's really good. Now, unfortunately, I had quite a bit that I had to waste because, uh, you know, I shot the damn thing five times. Yeah. So the fronts, you know, but yeah, really, really good meat. Nice. Nice. Are you going to do a mount on it, like a full body or? Yes. Yeah. Yep. Nice. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if you kill a mountain lion, that's, you got to do the full body, I think. I think so too, man. Yeah. I think so too. That's the only way to do that, that justice. I mean, you especially I've never a big seen mature a, a shoulder one. mount of a cat that looks, that looks that great. Right. Right. Especially a big mature one like that, man. Uh, it, it's going to look good. Yeah. Yeah, that'll that'll turn out good for sure. But so did that kind of wrap up your hunting season for you? Oh, uh, I had a fourth rifle cow tag. 
Okay. Uh, didn't feel that cow tag. Actually, man, I had so many run-ins with with. I hate to say dumbasses. Everybody has the same right to the public. I get it, but yeah, I had a lot of run-ins with people just doing some some crazy stuff, man. Uh, yeah. A lot of people in the woods and fourth rifle. It actually blew my mind how many people I was bumping into. But uh, didn't feel that tag. Uh, what did I have after that? What did I go do? Oh, I've been doing a ton of uh, duck and goose hunt, man. Nice. Uh, killed a bunch of geese, man. Uh, killed some cool birds that have been on my bucket list. Uh, you know, I've been hunting ducks for 25 years, man. And, uh, you know, never killed a golden eye duck, killed a golden eye duck this year. It's already at the taxidermist. Uh, what else, man? Uh, I actually went ice fishing a couple of days ago for the first time. That was cool. Um, but that cat was really kind of the end of my big yeah. game season. I'm pretty sure. Yeah. Yep. That's Turkey's right around the corner, man. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Nice. I haven't gotten into the, the bird stuff yet either. Not the turkeys or the or the waterfowl stuff, but oh man, I'd like oh to man, you got to come out, dude. Yeah, yeah, man. Yeah, it'll, it's definitely something I'd like to do. Um, I mean, even you know, towards the end of last year when I kind of wrapped up my big game hunts and all that stuff, I was just itching to get out. And you know, duck season was one of the only things open around here in Arizona, and I was trying to find a way to get out, but never found the opportunity to. Sure. And Arizona's a good state for, and again, I don't want to put, I mean, I think the word's out, but Arizona's got about everything. Yeah. I mean, if you want to kill big animals, Arizona's place to go. But yeah, man. It's just either going to cost you a lot of money or you're going to wait a long time. Yep. You're exactly right. So, but That's cool, man. So what's, what's next for you? I know you got your podcast thing going now, but what else you got planned for the future? Uh, right now, just planning for next year's hunts, man. Yeah. Uh, just planning for next year's hunts, uh, getting some cool, cool sponsors on board for the show uh and you know gonna keep trying to pump out some cool stuff yeah uh but really right now it's only thing to really do is ice fish uh could go on an axis hunt but doing some ice fishing and turkeys literally opens up in florida next month so uh or even in nebraska archery opens at the end of next month but uh turkey's right around the corner but right now it's just heavy heavy hunt planning you know it's yeah it's cool starting to you know, grow the whole show and stuff and getting invites to, to come hunt and stuff like that. Uh, so I should have a cool little Turkey tour, East coast Turkey tour this year. going to try to hit, uh, New York, Connecticut, uh, I hit Florida last year. I'm going to go back. I got a buddy with some, some good property down there, but, uh, yeah, New York, Connecticut, Nebraska, South Dakota, Wyoming, probably. And obviously Colorado will probably be, uh, be my little Turkey tour next year. Very nice. That's cool. Mm-hmm. What do you got planned for big game hunts this fall? Uh, hopefully going to get out and hunt some uh, private land in Utah over for the general season. And then uh, probably going to do muzzleloader um, elk this year. I do not know about my deer plans. Um, that's like a huge – because here's the thing, you only get one buck tag. We've got some really, really good mule deer hunting, and we've got some really good whitetail hunting. And uh-huh. I love whitetail, so – I'm kind of torn. There's a place that I could hunt with a handful of points, a mm-hmm. uh, muzzleloader out east for whitetail that I'm that might, uh, you know, pique my interest. And then a lot of areas. I mean, there's I mean, there's big mule deer in, in most units. So obviously mule deer uh, is really, really good here in Colorado. But antelope, not positive on antelope, might do OTC archery again. Uh, I think I'm going to put in for – I finally have three points for sheep, so I might just swing at the fences for sheep. 
Uh, still building. This will be my third moose point. Um, probably South Dakota whitetail, Wisconsin whitetail, Florida whitetail, Kansas whitetail. Um, but yeah, man, just trying to trying to get it all lined up. Nice. Well, it sounds like you have a have a busy fall. Sounds like a ton of fun. <laughs> I hope so, man. I yeah. hope so. Yeah, that that's always the goal. Get as much yep. as you can. You already know. That's cool, man. So with your podcast, how are you liking doing the podcast thing so far? Dude, I really like it, man. And you yeah. know, I like the feedback I've been getting. And it's you know, it's not as much of an undertaking as trying to run video, right? I don't wanna yeah. have that feeling where it's like I've got to kill. Like I've got to kill. You know what I mean? Like yeah. people, I don't, I don't want that. Also don't want to have somebody over my shoulder. I'm about to shoot a 350 inch bull and he's going, I don't yep. have him. I don't have him. I don't have him. I don't have him. Uh, yep. You know, so I don't know. I don't think the video is going to be in my future, but man, uh, the podcast has been good, man. Just the relationships I've made through it. And, you know, some of the sponsors I've been able to acquire through it. Uh, it's been really cool, man. And it's slowly growing and, you know, I need to become a better salesman because it really is a good show, man. I think uh, it just needs to get out there for more people to hear. I think people like it. Definitely. Yeah, like I said, I, I enjoy listening to it. Um, it's a ton of fun. And, yeah, I, I agree when it comes to the podcasting stuff. I, I enjoy it, too. And, you know, the people that I've been able to talk to and all that, you know, no sponsors yet. But that's – I mean, that that wasn't my goal here. Like, I'm not doing sure. this to make money. Although, sure. if that happens, I'll, I'm all for it. But, yep. um, yeah, I just I, – I enjoy – getting to talk to people and all that stuff. Like I, I really enjoy the actual podcast part and talking to people, the whole social media aspect, like having to be on top of posts and promote things. I don't enjoy as much. Dude, I'm telling you. Yeah. Yeah. That's, I don't enjoy that as much, but just getting, getting to talk to people is, is a ton of fun. I, I agree, man. Uh, completely with what you just said. I mean, I just got on IG last year, man. I'm way behind. I used to talk a lot of shit about my buddies when, uh, you know, they would always be showing IG this and that. I'm like, God, that's all you care about is IG, man. And, uh, you know, now I'm behind in the followers count. But it is what it is, man. Uh, Like I said, I can improve it at being a salesman. But at the same time, it's kind of cool just being like, hey, here it is. You know, if you like it, you know, I hope you listen again. But, yeah, man. Yeah, definitely. Well, cool, man. Well, before I let you go, um, we were talking at the beginning. You know, one question I ask every guest is for a book. Did you think mm-hmm. of one, or you want to? Is there a podcast or something else? A so, so or something like that. So, like I told you, man, uh, don't have a. I don't read a lot of books, and I should. And I'm glad you said that because I should. I do read a lot of articles. Uh, okay. You know, but you know, you can learn so much from books. But I'll tell you what, the dude that that I started watching when I first started diving into Western hunting. Uh, and if you don't know who the guy is, I mean, Randy Newberg, that dude yep. just goes out on public land and just, he's, you know, it doesn't take a 360 bullet again to pull the trigger, but he goes out, he has the camp. He's got his buddies in town. They're at camp, uh, you know, and dude, it's something about, you know, the way that he delivers the information, you know, makes it super palatable. And the fact that, you know, he's a public land guy, but man, Randy Newberg taught me a lot, man. Watching his stuff taught me a whole, whole lot. I still watch it's, I kind of can't watch it anymore because I've seen every episode so many times. It's almost hard <laughs> for me to watch. So, uh, but man, I encourage anybody who wants to just get out and bootstrap it and, and hunt, hunt, uh, public land, man. There ain't many people that, that, that has done it with the consistency that, uh, Randy Newberg has, man. 
definitely. Yeah, I'm a big fan of, of Randy. Unfortunately, he gets a lot of hate down here in Arizona because Arizona Fishing Game supposedly was paying him to come down here and promote the over-the-counter tags. and now the Oh, so, gotcha. He gets a lot of hate down here in Arizona, but I, I like him. I've met him a few times, and he's a great guy, and I got nothing bad to say about him. So Same a, here, man. I'm a big fan of him, so. But cool, man. Well, before I let you go, um, how can people find you? Find your podcast, all that stuff. Yeah, just check me out on IG at uh, High Country underscore Jaywalk, J W A L K. Uh, the show's called Retired to Hunt. Get it pretty much anywhere Spotify, Apple Podcasts, all that stuff. Uh, but yeah, check it out. It's a cool show, man. Awesome, man. Well, Josh, thank you so much for coming on. Any last words before I let you go? I uh, appreciate you having me on, man. I appreciate you having me on. It was fun. No problem at all. Definitely had a good time. All right, man. I will talk to you later then. All right, Caleb. Yeah, bye. All right, guys. Thank you guys for listening to that podcast with Josh Walker. I definitely had a good time talking with him. Make sure you guys check out his podcast, Retired to Hunt. But before I let you guys go, again, if you want to check out the podcast on social media, it's barely underscore backcountry underscore podcast on Instagram. And then my personal is c.dillashaw. Again, make sure you guys give the podcast a like, a follow, a share, leave a review, all those good things. But that covers it for this week. Thank you guys for listening. I'll I'll see you guys next week.